0: Let me take you back to a pretty crazy time in American election history. There's this guy. His name is Andre Fledel, and he's out at the beach. The date is Tuesday, November 7th, 2000. Now, Andre is in his 50s, and he's a chiropractor, and his hair is going gray. And he just voted in the presidential election. So it's George Bush versus Al Gore. And Andre punched his ballot for Gore earlier in the day. And then he left, and then he realized that there was a problem.
1: So I went to the beach, and we sat down,
0: and calls were coming all over the place. So that's Andre on the phone thinking about that crazy day 20 years later. The ballots all screwed
2: up, and there's something wrong, and people are complaining, and they voted for the wrong person. And I thought the whole thing was pretty dumb, because how can you vote for the wrong person?
0: So how a person can vote for the wrong candidate actually goes a little something like this. First... Andre lives in Palm Beach County. And that county printed the candidates for president that year on something called a butterfly ballot.
2: So they called it the butterfly ballot because it was names coming from both sides, like wings.
0: Yeah, so if you've never seen this butterfly ballot or you can't recall it, picture a textbook. There's a spine and pages on either side of that spine. This butterfly ballot sort of looks like that. There are candidate names on either side. And in the middle, there's a strip of holes that you use to vote. I punched the second punch hole, never even bothered looking at it. So it's that second punch hole that's the problem here. Andre thought it was a vote for Al Gore, but it wasn't. It was a vote for another candidate. The way the holes line up with the names, it was really easy to make that mistake. And Andre says he punched the second hole because that's how it's always been for him.
1: I vote first punch hole Republican, second punch hole Democrat,
0: and that's all I ever vote, one or two. So later, when Andre's sitting there on the beach and getting phone calls from all over the place, that's when he realizes what he did.
2: So I knew I had screwed up because I didn't punch any third punch hole ever for anything, ever.
0: So this ballot, it was an unusual design. It was also a new design for Palm Beach County for that election. And it definitely confused thousands of Palm Beach voters, just like it confused Andre. I got
2: suckered. I mean, I don't think it was malicious. I just got completely suckered.
0: The election results in Florida were a mess. There were ballot problems like Andre's and ballot machine problems, calls for recounts and delays. It took a decision from the Supreme Court to put an end to it. In the end, they called it for George W. Bush. And as for Al Gore, that loss was the end of his political career. But for designers it was the beginning of a huge realization. Election design is a mess and democracy has a design problem. I'm Koi Venn, Senior Director of Design at Adobe. And this is Wireframe, an original podcast from Adobe XD. Whether we vote on an electronic ballot or contact a government official about an important issue, digital experiences unlock new ways for people to engage with government and politics. Adobe believes that designers can help shape those experiences. And Adobe XD helps you design websites, mobile apps, voice interfaces, and much more, which helps us all transform civic engagement. Learn more about designing with Adobe XD at adobe.ly wireframe. It's been 20 years since Andre Fledel accidentally voted for the wrong candidate. 20 years since bad election design played a part in a major political and constitutional crisis. In just a few weeks, Americans face another presidential election, and many fear that another major political and constitutional crisis is all but inevitable. Much of that tension is built around whether or not voters can cast ballots by mail, and if those ballots will be received and counted on time. Anyone who's been following the news knows that this has been a huge discussion with lots of controversy. But millions of people are still going to line up in person at the polls to cast their votes. And across the board, the user experience of voting is a challenge that designers are still trying to overcome. Wireframe producer Dominic Girard has been digging into some of this. Welcome back, Dom. Hi, Koi. You can probably tell
3: that I'm recording this in my closet at home, right? Yeah, you do sound a little bit odd. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry about that. I'm having a bit of a technical issue this week, but hopefully you can hear me just fine. But, you know, I was thinking a technical issue might be appropriate for this episode, given what you were just talking about with that butterfly ballot a moment ago.
0: Nice pivot there.
3: (laughs) Thanks. I tried really hard. Uh, (laughs) But seriously, the the ballot story, it really shows how even
0: a small design mistake can really have a massive consequence in an election. I think massive is really the right word here. Yeah. But I know that there are a lot of designers out there who are really trying to fix this problem, right? Yeah, yeah, there are. And so why don't we start
3: with a woman named Whitney Quisenberry. She's with the Center for Civic Design.
0: Right. They focus on design challenges that get in the way of how citizens and governments work together. Yeah, and it's also where that phrase that you used a moment ago comes from, this
3: idea that democracy has a design problem.
4: So when we say democracy is a design problem... What we mean is that it's not enough to have great theories about how democracy works or even great constitutions or laws. You have to actually be able to implement them. So that means it's a forms design problem. It's a service design problem. It's a visual design problem. It's a language design problem. It is all the things that go together to make a fantastic UX experience.
0: What she's saying is that democracy is really kind of all talk unless you do everything you can to help Citizens vote. Yeah, exactly. And Whitney's long
3: been convinced that we need designers to make democracy stronger. And that's because, until recently, designers just haven't been at the table.
4: And I think that comes back to this question of, why does it happen that things are not written well and things are not designed well? Partly, they're all made by committees, right? Laws are made by committees. And partly, no one's challenged them. No one said it can be better. And partly the kind of people who go to work in a secretary of state's office are probably not all graphic designers.
0: That seems like exactly what happened with Palm Beach County's butterfly ballot. I mean, it was designed by the Palm Beach County clerk who was in office at that time, who was a public servant and not a designer. Right. Now, I'm sure she meant well when she did what she did. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure she did, too. Absolutely. She wanted to make the ballot easier for older voters to read. So she made the font larger. And unfortunately, that made it necessary to reorganize the layout so that it would all fit. So by fixing one problem, she, she
4: created another one. And far too often, we find that well-intentioned, serious about their work, Uh, government agencies simply do not have the design skills available to them to help them do well what they already know they want to do.
0: So if Whitney is saying that a big reason why ballot design is bad is because designers just aren't involved enough, how are they changing that? I mean, who's stepping in besides Whitney? Right. It's not just her taking on this problem. There's a bunch of people trying to get involved
3: in. And Drew Davies is another person I spoke to about this. Now, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that the 2000 election was an eye-opening moment for designers?
0: Uh, yes, among other people.
3: <laughs> right, among other people. Well, Drew is one of those designers.
2: I don't know that I had ever recognized the power of design in civic spaces up until that point. And it was really, for not just me, but a huge percentage of the country, designers included, it was this, this turning point about man, this election went horribly awry based solely on a design issue. You know, this is this is our purview. This is the thing
3: we do. So Drew owns and runs a design studio in Omaha, Nebraska called Oxide Design. Right, I've heard of them. Great. Well, they do a lot of traditional design work, as you might know, but they're also doing a ton of civic design and election design in particular.
2: I would say I'm a nerdy... OCD kind of designer. I always enjoyed designing paper forms, the kinds of things you might fill out at the DMV. I just really enjoyed bringing order to the chaos of those kinds of artifacts that you would find in the world.
0: Yeah, he's a designer after my own heart. I mean, a lot of us designers, we just get this immense joy out of redesigning terrible forms that you have to fill out.
3: Well, in that case, Coy, if you had to redesign a ballot. Where would you start to go look for that immense joy?
0: Well, you'd want to start with some research, for sure. And you'd put an emphasis on making things clean, legible, orderly. Right. And this comes to you naturally because
3: you live in this world. It it maybe even sounds a little straightforward, right? Yeah, it's basic design 101. And Drew felt the same way. When he first took on this ballot problem, he figured it would be pretty easy. It wasn't.
2: Uh, I certainly, when I started out on this project, I was young and had enough hubris to think oh okay you know ballot design um sure we'll like we could devote 6 months to that uh, and here we are almost 15 years later um just sort of having scratched the surface
0: man 15 years and he still feels like there's work to do yet yeah and i think i know why it's because
3: ballots need to work for a lot of different kinds of users right yeah i mean think about it there's The county clerks and election officials who run the elections, obviously, they get a say. The candidates running for office, they get a say. Then there's the elected politicians themselves. They're the ones who have to write and pass the laws that address any changes for how elections are going to be run. That's just scratching the surface. The list just goes on.
0: Right, and you haven't even mentioned the voters themselves.
3: Well, yeah, and a voter, as we know, is literally any legal citizen over the age of 18 who's
0: registered to vote. That really seems like that's the challenge with civic design. I mean, your user is quite literally everyone. And with ballots specifically, there's
3: one more usability problem that is hard to overcome. Drew points this out. He says, you know, many Americans, they only really get around to voting uh, when it's time to vote for president. And that only happens every four years.
2: The issue here is that people vote so infrequently that they simply don't have the muscle memory to recall the kind of form that they dealt with four years ago, the last time they voted. So they encounter this ballot brand new each time they walk into a ballot booth, whether it's the same ballot they voted on four years ago or not.
0: That's pretty interesting. That's like designing for a user who's always going to be doing it for the very first time. They're always going to be unfamiliar with the interface that you've designed. Totally you go into a voting booth and you think, I know who I want to be governor,
2: but all of a sudden you're presented with a ballot that has uh, 42 different races on it and seven different ballot measures or determine who's more qualified
0: to be dog catcher. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever voted for my local dog catcher, but, you know, I get his meaning. The point here, of course, is that these are all the obstacles that
3: Drew is facing when he's committing to fixing this ballot design problem.
0: So he gets down to work and this is after the 2000 election, right? Exactly. This is about the time that the federal government concedes that there's a problem and they actually get involved.
3: They do. They, they pass a law in 2002. It's called the Help America Vote Act. And what that does is it helps states with funding to update their election equipment, Uh, It sets up uh, an Elections Assistance Commission. Uh, That way, nationwide, there's at least an attempt to create some basic standards to help run elections.
0: So it's not like Drew was just sitting out there on his own trying to save the world.
3: That's right. He's not. He's, He's partnering with people. He partners with Whitney Quisenberry, for instance, and other designers at the Center for Civic Design. And together, they lead this effort to develop clear ballot and election design guidelines. But of course, the more they dig into the issue, the more questions they end up having.
2: It can seem really simple on the surface for uh, an average person to pick up a ballot and fill in a few ovals and turn their ballot in and be done with the process. But the second that you have any sort of motor skill issue, any sort of vision issue, any cognitive impairments, all of a sudden, that becomes immensely more complex. Are we speaking in plain language? Are we speaking at a third grade level? Are we making these instructions as accessible to the widest group of people that we can? That's a lot to think about. There's even more. How do we clarify for a voter where they're at in the process of voting? Are you at the start, middle, or end of a ballot? What do you do when you get to the end of a first page of a ballot? If it's a paper ballot, how do you move to the next page of a ballot if it's a digital ballot, those kinds of pieces. Uh, A lot of different interesting complexities like that that don't reveal themselves until you start looking a little deeper into the process.
0: So
3: they take all that and so much more and eventually come up with something they truly think is going to help. And it ends up being this massive, super comprehensive document filled with recommendations that oversee every single stage of designing an election. It was full of a lot of detailed
2: specs about ballot design, uh, all the way down to, you know, type styles, type sizes, kerning, leading, uh, a bunch of things that if you weren't a designer wouldn't make any sense to you. And the, the document itself was 400 plus pages long. Oh my God.
0: 400 pages is a lot of reading to try to make something simpler. It's funny how this, this guide, which is aimed
3: at helping improve the voters' user experience, it kind of forgot to consider, you know, the user experience of the audience they were making the guide for.
0: Right. They should have been focused on the election officials, their experience. And for the most part, those people are not trained designers, as far as I know. And then they also have already super busy jobs
3: managing their local offices. Who's going to flip through 400 pages of design jargon?
2: We watched that document collect dust. I'm pretty sure it got filed next to the Ark of the Covenant in a giant warehouse somewhere outside of D.C.
0: So they're overwhelming these election officials. They're
3: overwhelming them. So they regroup, they rethink the process, and basically redesign what they just did. So I think one of the great victories we had was actually the
2: development of what amounts to a cheat sheet for all of that information.
3: So take a look, Koi, here are what some of those cheat sheets
0: look like. Yeah, so these are little notebooks, maybe they're pocket-sized, they're called field guides for ensuring voter intent. They look really, really nicely designed, very clean, straightforward, minimalist. Um, There's some good advice here, I think... uh, Here's one that says, pick one sans serif font, which is always a, a good rule of thumb for anybody trying to do design.
3: Yeah, there's other titles too, like testing ballots for usability, designing election department websites, yeah, and, and so on.
2: So what those did is they took each one of the topics around best practices for election design and broke them down in, into these 10 easy to do steps. And those 10 steps are literally as simple as left-aligned text, do not center it, and do not write in all caps, write in upper and lowercase. Um, the kinds of things that we knew election officials could say, okay, I got it. I know how to do that. I will write my instructions in upper and lower
0: case instead of all caps.
3: And those field guides, they're actually proving popular, Koi. Drew
0: says they're in like the fifth or sixth print edition. Huh, that's great. So it seems like they're really helping. Yeah. So, Dom... This means that ballot design problems are a thing of the past, right? Right. <laughs> That'd be nice, but you know the answer to that already. It's not, it's not
3: the end of the story. The point, though, is that election officials can finally find help when they need it.
2: Because they can use them without any consultation from the outside and make their voter-facing websites better, make their voter information better, make their
0: ballots better. Okay, so we've talked about designers building standards for good ballot design. So that's one issue. Yeah. But another one that I think a lot about is the voting machines themselves. They can be a user experience nightmare. Right, right.
3: Voting on outdated machines is still an issue that people talk about even today.
0: Yeah. It's really kind of wild that we don't really have shared design standards that the whole country can work from. Except there are some counties who are trying really hard and and
3: leading the way and trying out completely new ideas. And I want to tell you about Los Angeles County. Here, take a look at this design.
0: So this is a website for VSAP, Voting Solutions for All People. And there's a picture of a new voting machine here. And it really looks modern. It's very sleek, very streamlined. There's actually a touch tablet right in the middle of it. So it looks pretty high tech. Looks great. Surprisingly great, right? Surprisingly great, yeah.
5: And they are the cutest little vote bots. They are extremely friendly and accessible looking. They've got these sort of California gold privacy screens and uh, all round sloping edges so nobody can rest a beverage on them.
3: So this person, Koi, is Kate Ludicrum. She was a product manager hired onto the VSAP project in its last couple of years. Uh, and her job was to implement the design and
0: roll it out to the public. So this VSAP system, is it exclusive to Los Angeles County? I mean, can I get one for my voting district? (laughs) No, I don't think so.
3: Not yet anyway. They rolled these out for the first time this past spring for the Democratic primary in March. Uh, And it's all because the county clerk, Dean Logan, wanted something new. Up until then, the county was voting on machines that were decades old clunky, expensive to maintain. Just a pain, really.
0: So I bet it was really just a matter of time before they faced some kind of Florida 2000-like disaster there. Yeah, Yeah, I think that was one of the concerns. So he said, let's just start over.
3: And I asked Kate to explain how it works.
5: When you check in, you're given your paper ballot, you present it to the device, it reads the QR code that explains where you're from and which contests you're eligible to vote in. And then it would have accepted your paper ballot and populated its big touchscreen with your specific neighborhood contests.
0: So wait, it sounds like there's both a paper ballot and a digital ballot. Yeah, and that's because of their user research. The design team learned
3: that LA Voters i like to see their choices on paper, not just on the screen. I guess people
0: generally trust paper ballots over digital.
3: Yeah. And so with VSAP, you vote digitally, but there's a paper trail. You feed the machine a blank ballot. You vote on the touchscreen. When you're done, it prints those choices. You can review however you like. And then if you're happy, feed the ballot back into the terminal.
5: And then you would have voted.
3: So when you vote on this digital interface, it's plain, it's intuitive, And it's so easy to understand, you can almost say it's kind of boring.
0: I mean, when it comes to civic design, you
3: could do a lot worse than boring. (laughs) This is something that the interface designer for the project learned once he was on the job. His name is John Fox, and like Kate, he was hired late into the project to
1: see the project through. When I first started on the project, my first day... I was getting a tour of all of the design files and all of the different screens.
3: When he saw the designs, it really
1: confused him. My initial reaction was, well, these are the wireframes. And it turns out, no, those were the final designs. So how
0: simple are we talking about here? Well, for one thing, they don't use color.
5: Oh. There is a green screen splash page that has some color to it, but once you're Inside the voting application, it's all grayscale.
1: It doesn't have the most, you know, fancy, up to date typeface, but what it is, is it's utilitarian. And the important part is that it can be easily read, it can be easily digested, and it can be easily used. And it was very, very clear what the user was doing every single step of the way.
0: So keep it simple, keep it clean, don't confuse the voter. Makes sense. That's right. And VSAP is adaptive too. With
3: the interface, you can resize the font, you can change the contrast, you can have it display in 13 different languages, and there's an there's an audio version if you have literacy or vision problems. So you can get support that way.
0: Yeah, it seems like they pretty much have it covered.
3: Yeah, yeah, right down to even helping voters vote as quickly as they can. There's this neat feature called a poll pass. And what that does is it lets you download a sample ballot online in advance, and then you can use that to make your choices before you even head to the polling station.
0: Oh, so you could do this before election day mm-hmm. or maybe even while you're waiting in line, that kind of thing?
3: Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. And, and sample ballots, quite, they're, they're not uncommon. But What's cool here is you can scan those choices into the VSAP terminal when you get to it. It reads a QR code that's linked to the poll pass. So that lets the machine automatically read your choices, that, the ones you've already made. Oh, so it just fills out the ballot for you. Yeah, exactly. Then you review, submit the ballot, and you're done. And in fact, uh, John Fox, the interface designer, this is how he went ahead and
1: voted during the primary. And because I had the poll pass and was able to just sort of scan it in, get all of my results, the entire process took me maybe 90 seconds.
0: So you vote on your phone, but you submit your ballot at the polling station itself. Super simple, super secure, user-friendly, super fast.
5: We made voting fun. We made voting accessible, non-threatening, and simple.
0: So, Dom, you said it launched during the primary. How did it go? Yeah, well, it didn't launch without problems. Does
3: anything ever, really. (laughs) There were a few equipment malfunctions. There were a few long lineups at some polling stations. Enough that the county clerk, Dean Logan, the guy who got
0: this whole thing started, he actually had to step up
3: and publicly apologize for some of the gas.
0: Uh, Launching any new design is always the best and the worst day for a designer. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Some voters did complain that the new machines were confusing,
3: but there's good news. There was at least one exit poll uh, where they asked voters about the experience, and 90% of them said that they thought it was a good or even an excellent experience.
0: Nice. I imagine that Kate and John and the whole design team were pretty happy to hear that. I would imagine so. Yeah, everybody on the project, really. I mean, it is a project that cost about $300 million to get done, and it took a decade to get to this point. That is a lot of time and money to redesign a machine for a single county. Pretty wild, right? But if it feels like 10 years is a
3: long time, Part of the reason is this, they wanted to make sure that the voices of every single stakeholder got a fair hearing.
5: Voting Solutions for All People was the ultimate design by committee project.
0: The words design by committee, those are words that no designer ever wants to hear. I think normally Kate would agree with
3: you on that, but in this case, she feels different.
5: I feel confident that we served Los Angeles well and that... If anybody came knocking with complaints, we can prove to them how we served Los Angeles as a group designing by committee over a span of almost a decade to arrive at something that's actually pretty nice.
0: So we've covered a lot of ground here, Dom, but the conversation around voting, it just continues to evolve. Like I mentioned earlier, all we seem to be talking about is mail-in voting, right? Yeah. And it's a bit ironic, actually.
3: L.A. County has these brand new shiny machines. But because of the outbreak, the county has now decided that they're going to mail a ballot to every single voter for November. That's 5.5 million ballots going into the mailbox.
0: Yeah. See, that's exactly what I mean. It strikes me as more of a political problem than a design one. And if that's the case, designers can really only do so much.
3: Yeah, and Whitney's with you on that. If the political will isn't there, designers can only get so far.
4: If you need to pass a law in a state legislature, everybody who has to vote yes was elected under the old system. And the closer, the more partisan divide there is, the harder it is to make changes.
0: So here we are, we're all about to vote and we've got design by committee, we've got people making design decisions who aren't always equipped with the skills to do that. And we're starting to see legal challenges and political accusations flying in every which direction ahead of election day. So it's true, elections are a complex, multifaceted problem that really goes beyond what we think of as a standard design project. So I think I understand now why this is taking so long, why Drew finds himself still working on this problem 15 years after he first started. Okay, so all that being said, Coy, you're you're still going to vote in November, right? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, hard problems like this, they rarely have simple answers. But you've got designers like Drew and Whitney, and they are making meaningful progress out there, and that's really something. And also, you know, voting it's still the most powerful way to be heard, especially with the world the way it is. So yeah, for sure, I'm definitely voting. Well, good. Thanks for this, Dom. Thanks, Coy. Dominic Girard is a producer with Wireframe. It's important to add that despite what you might have been reading, there are a lot of people, designers included, who have worked very hard to ensure the integrity of your vote. For instance... Designers like Whitney Quisenberry, she's still working hard to solve these design challenges. And that's for both mail-in ballots and in-person ballots.
4: Michigan adopted our designs. Pennsylvania adopted and slightly adapted our designs. A bunch of counties have adopted them. And we're getting real attention for that. And I think part of why we're getting good attention is because we did it in a user-centered way. We didn't make those designs by going into a corner and thinking what great designers we were.
0: So design is making headway in improving the voting experience. But none of that really matters if you, the voter, don't show up. Personally, on November 3rd, I'm going to head over to my local polling station here in Brooklyn and cast my vote. And whether you cast yours in person or through the mail, I hope that you vote too. If you're an American and you haven't registered to vote yet, head on over to vote.gov and find out how to make sure your voice is heard. Folks, this is the final episode of this season. But there's one more way that you can speak your mind. Rate and review this podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and let me know what you think. And also tell all your friends about us. I'm Koi Vin. Thanks for listening. This is Wireframe, an original podcast from Adobe XD. Learn more about designing with XD at adobe.ly slash tryxd.